Todd, the, the little button is saying the we're live. live. <laughs> Coming to you live from Agile for Human Studios. It is your daily Scrum Live. I'm professional Scrum trainer Ryan Ripley. This gentleman over here is Todd Miller. What's up, Miller? Not much, you know. Not much. Yeah. Popping out of vacation mode, back into getting some stuff done, feeling pretty good. I know it's kind of tough, isn't it? We're like uh, both coming off of some some nice vacations, and now it's time to get back to work. Yeah, yes, it is. So we're we're seeing some comments from people. It's live. All right. Hello from France. Hello, hello, Osni. Hello. Listeners and viewers are showing up. It's awesome to see everybody joining us. Take the music down a bit. Karen, Dev, yo. People are coming in. All right, Todd. We need some questions. We do need some questions. So Lithuania. Gonna... Hey, what's up? Look, we got Brazil, Lithuania. Awesome. Super cool. One of my good friends is in France right now. Turkey? Whoa. We have a global community, which is awesome. It's so great to see all of you. We see some LinkedIn people coming in. Hey, hey. All right. Philippines, how's everyone doing? Time to take some questions, Todd. What do you think we should uh, kick it off? You know, I think I saw one. I think I saw one in the YouTubes. Um, the YouTube um, it hemisphere. It was interesting. And maybe we'll, we'll do maybe we'll do a separate video and break this out. But a scrum master had asked, what should they do while the rest of the team is out on vacation? Oh, I did see that one. Yeah. I thought that one was kind of neat. Maybe we should. I don't I've been in that spot. I'm sure you have, too. So how yeah. have you handled that? When the whole team's on vacation uh, or like, you know, heading into, you know, uh, in the U.S., uh, you have uh, holidays like um, Thanksgiving. I'm sure there's uh all kinds of bank holidays and things like that um, in different parts of the world. The reality of it is like what I've always, what I, here's what I try to do at first, Ryan. I try to be super stringent about keeping a sprint cadence and, you know, trying to make sure that we were, we were bringing in and taking into consideration capacity and all these stuff. I tried to, I tried to be really stringent about it. You know, the scrum yeah. cop, I'm a, as a scrum master on the scrum cop, this is what we're going to do. I think, when I what I landed on is that let's just use common sense to do what works. Like let's make it if people are out, um, that's okay. People should be able to be out. Maybe, maybe, maybe you have to because of Thanksgiving, make your sprint end a couple days later than two weeks for one time, right? Like a for a few times over the holidays. Um, just yeah, I, I would say just do what makes sense, right? Yeah, I, I definitely think so. I've I've been in that spot and the majority of the team's been out of the office. You know what? If no one's at, if we're not doing a sprint, let's say, especially for our European friends, if it's the month of August and nobody's working, uh, but you happen to be the scrum master who's in the office, maybe you're doing a holiday later at a different time. I think this is just a great time to catch up on all the things you wish you had time to do. Like maybe go and grab your favorite book, give it a read, right? Go read Fixing Your Scrum, read Jeff Watts's Scrum Mastery, um, go take a class. Like this is the time to kind of, or even like, let's go learn a few retro formats. So when the team comes back, we can really level up our skills in that way. Watch some YouTube videos. I think this is a time for education as well. Um, if, if the team's not sprinting at all, but like Todd said, if the team is sprinting, make adjustments. 
capacity is going to be lower. Some, some dates may be different, but just in all that you do, I would be transparent with your stakeholders about exactly what's happening during this period of time in case they're expecting something a little different. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Don't become, don't, don't be a, a scrum cop. Right. Yeah. Don't, don't force it, but I, Hey, we have some questions coming in. Cool. Um, all right. One question for you in review. If the stakeholders want to know all the PBIs that didn't work, what should we do or didn't get worked on? What should we do? Um, you know, part of, I think it's interesting. I, I'm going to interpret this question in two ways, Todd. Uh, the first one is we're always going to show the product backlog in sprint review. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to go over that. And maybe there's some things there that, that didn't get worked on, but this, the product backlog is always reviewed. I think where this question might be going is that what do we do with the PBIs that we didn't, that we pulled into a sprint, but didn't work on, right? That might be the other way to look at this. And uh, I don't know, Todd, what do you think? How could, how would you handle that? Like we guys, we, we pulled some stuff in a sprint, but we didn't work on it. Yeah. Um, I, I want to understand what the concern is for that. Uh, so did you meet your sprint goal? Because I think that's what we talk about. The sprint goal is the commitment, right? And so check out some of the videos we've done on sprint goal, right? No ands, no commas, no, it's, it's, it's sprint goal. It's not sprint goals, right? So I think that is a really good point of, of, of topic for this. Um, I think that I want to understand what they're, what, what they're coming at here. Are they, are they just looking, are, are they under the false impression that the sprint backlog is a sprint commitment, right? Uh, that's, 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 were we busy enough? Is that what they're concerned about? So, you, you know what, I, I want to dig in here a little bit more. I want to understand why they're asking this and see if I can step in as a scrum master help to help maybe, because um, uh, immediately my, my, my alarms are going off with this, Ryan. My, my alarms are that you've got stakeholders in there going, how come you didn't finish all the product backlog items? You guys weren't busy enough, right? Yeah. Like that's because that's what I see all the time when I see this kind of thing. Maybe, maybe it's just curiosity and maybe that's okay. Maybe have a, maybe you're a, you're at a place with your, um, with your, your, your progression with agility where this is just a talking point. I doubt it though. I, I think that this is being asked and, and, in a way that's probably, I don't know. If if they're if they're really trying to get at plan versus actual, we got to get away from that. It's a mm -hmm. really terrible metric. It, it's yeah. it, it's totally irrelevant. Like I think like what Ty was saying, sprint goal. That's where the game's mm -hmm. at, and let's keep the focus there, right? Karen came in with a question: How do we put the burn down chart to work? We light <laughs> it on fire, <laughs> and then we read Dan Vicanti's book. Uh, when will it be done? Yeah. And uh, we, we get a better set of, ma no, I'm, I'm teasing. Look, the burn down <laughs> chart can be used to visualize um, progress towards, you know, some kind of product completion. Um, I think we really put it to work by layering other metrics on top of it, right? So I, I think we really want to keep an eye on a cost per sprint. We want to keep an eye on um, value delivered per value delivered per sprint, customer satisfaction, employee satisfaction. Let's layer on things mm -hmm. to help the burn down tell a better story because it's really just, um, there's a lot of things that hide in between the dots on a burn down chart. Yeah. What do you think here, Todd? Yeah. Uh, uh, what are, uh, don't put it to work. <laughs> yeah. Burn the burn down. Yeah. Look at, look at other, uh, look at other ways of making the, the sprint, um, uh, and progress towards your sprint goal transparent. And Brian, you mentioned some work item age, things like that. Um, 
look at look at different things. Uh, it's not. Uh, we're just we're just not fans, right? We're not we're just not fans. Yeah, we're a big fan of Acanti's book. When will it be done? Yeah, I think that's a so so Karen. I think that's a great um, that's a great spot. If you can get that book, um, check it out. If you can't, leave us a message on the YouTube channels. We'll see if we can help out. Daniel, ways to facilitate refinement. So I actually have a method. Todd, I don't think we've ever talked about this on a show. Mm -hmm. And so there's a book that I think is way out of print and ridiculously expensive right now. Um, Discover to Deliver by Ellen Gottesdiener and Mary Gorman. I think this book is awesome. It is a great, I think it's very hard to find. And in it, and this is, I know that. So what does this have to do with refinement? They define seven product dimensions. And so user user facing things, the interface, you know, between different um, pieces of the code and, and architecture, actions people can take, data uh, control. So like kind of the rules in the system uh, environment. So that's like the overall server architecture and things like that. And then quality attributes. And so those seven product dimensions I turned into kind of like, uh, you know, everyone has their own templates and they have their own um, boards now. And so I would have a, I would facilitate those seven dimensions, walking a story through each one. What does the interface look like? What does, um, you know, what does the interfacing with other applications and software look like? What are the actions a user can take? What's the data we're going to collect? What are the controls we're going to put in place around the actions and the data? What's the overall architecture? And what are the quality things we have to keep in mind? And that really, and, and again, you'll need to check out the book to really dig into what those things uh, mean at a more at a at a more granular level, those seven product dimensions really helped focus refinement. And then along the way, we made some adjustments, we inspected and adapted. But I just remember a number of years ago using this book, and that's why I disappeared for a minute to grab it. It was wildly helpful in helping me figure out uh, a good way to facilitate, and it also helped the team think of things to do. But that's just one idea, Todd. I'm sure you've got a billion more. Yeah. So. Um... As far as facilitation, I, I've, I feel like you could really experiment with different um, different liberating structure strings that I think could get you to where you need to be. Like, here's the reality about uh, product backlog refinement. I don't think we could give a single way that will give you exactly what you need because it is really circumstantial, right? Because sometimes you're going to need to show up and the biggest um, order of business is going to be breaking down a single PBI uh, into multiple PBIs and how we're going to come up with the execution plan. The next time it could be literally talking about execution. Like this thing is a monster, right? Let's get it out in front of this a little bit before sprint planning. Um, just some ideas uh, that um, I, I, I recently saw a team use these um, Agile 35 cards uh, and they, they kind of did their own riff on it. I'm going to put it into chat. Um, I don't know who to attribute Ryan for who created these. I, I'm sitting here trying to Google it. Um, so I'm just going to put a link to these Agile 35 cards. Um, and I've seen and um, uh, worked with teams and helped to facilitate this. Most teams do their own riff on this uh, on, on this game. You can try that out. Do your own riff on it and and use that. But if you do that every refinement, it's going to get stagnant, right? It's going to get stagnant. So you you constantly, I think, for all of the events, right? So refinement isn't an official event in Scrum, but it's necessary. We, you and I, agree on it as a good agile product management practice. Um, 
you, you're going to have to vary it or it'll get stagnant. Um, different, uh, to, to borrow from TBR, different trumps the same, right? Yep. So uh, varying how you facilitate these events and having it in your back pocket, different ways to approach it, depending on the context of what you're trying to do is important. I just threw an out idea out there that you can check out. Ryan threw one, um, uh, tried different strings of liberating structures. Get ready. Uh, it's a good event for you to step in and facilitate as a Scrum Master. Well, and mash it up, right? Take mm -hmm. those seven dynamics, use different liberating structure strings to dig into the details, and you can have a really cool refinement session. Yeah. And then you get to sit down and figure out a whole new thing to do in the next refinement session because, like Todd said, things get stale, right? Yeah. yeah. Great question. Thank you, Daniel. All right. About certifications, two questions. When do you think is a good time to achieve one? Do you think the market understands the importance of a PSM3? Great question. I love this question. Um, I'm going to take the second one first. No, I don't think the market understands the importance, but I wish it did. Hmm. I think this is the the gold. And first of all, we're, we're both professional scrum trainers with scrum.org. So take what I'm about to say. Understand that I have a bias here. But I do believe that PSM3 is the gold standard for scrum master certifications. Right. It is insanely difficult. Um not insanely difficult, but it, it really requires that you know your stuff. And it's um, I think it's a really great assessment. I think the the, the folks at scrum.org have done just a beautiful job creating it. If you can pass it, I think, Todd, there's what, six or 700 people on the planet who have passed mm -hmm. it. Um, it really shows, I think, a higher level of scrum understanding. I'm a big fan of it. And uh, I think people are starting to see the importance of it, right? I, it mm -hmm. is definitely recognized in those who know that it's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's only going to continue to grow. So I highly recommend it if you're at that point in your career. What do you think of the PSM3, Todd? Uh, you and I have said automatically, if you have a P PSM3 and your resume comes across our desk and we're hiring for a Scrum Master position, it's an automatic interview. With uh, likely an offer letter ready, as long as you show up and you're coherent. And you right. have a good, I mean, and you have a good right. attitude, right? Um, you, have, you have a good attitude and you didn't just... Fine, fine. It's, it's a really tough exam. Your personality comes out as you complete that exam, I think. Yeah. Um, right? It really does. Especially afterwards, if you're like me when I finished my PSM3 and I hit that submit button and it went off, I was just like, I'm getting a beer now. That's yeah. I was like, I mean, this is stressful. But, you know, kind of circling back to when do you think it's a good time to achieve one? Uh, I'll be honest. Let's have this come. Let's have the certification talk, should we? Ryan? Yeah, let's talk about it. Yeah. Um, I believe there's benefits in certification for really two different reasons. Uh, the most important one is you're studying, you're continuing to learn. It's a mechanism for you to validate what you've learned. Yep. Um, it's not an end all be all just because you have all the certification doesn't mean I'm automatically going to hire you. I've had, I've hired people with zero certifications, but years of experience as a scrum master. I hired somebody that had no certifications, but had been a scrum master for seven years. Yeah. They, they just didn't want to get them. Right. And so they didn't, and um, they managed to continue to get jobs and they were awesome. They were, did a great job. Um, but I also think that that person was extremely motivated as a self learner to explore all kinds of different things. I think that certifications just are something that intrigues people to go out and learn something different. Sure. It's on a resume, Right. You get it on a resume, but it's also a continuous learning adventure. And that helps you in that regard. 
And that's why I like scrum.org. You don't need to attend a class to get a certification. Yeah. Yeah, if you've got the the seven years of experience, you've dug in, you've you've learned Scrum inside and out. Just go take the test. I think it's a great part of the the Scrum.org setup. Mm. Um, totally agree with you about certs, right? I mean, that's it's one of those where look, Todd and I teach classes. We're we're not necessarily concerned about the certification. We hope that at the end of two days with us, that you come out uh, not only with a lot more knowledge than what you had before, but a path to grow. Like we want you to, we want you to see the Scrum Master role as a lifetime commitment to learning, not as a two-day um, class and then now you know everything, right? And so, yeah, I think it's a good question about certifications, a good question about the PSM three. But I, like Todd said, there are people out there that just kind of stay away from certs, and they're amazing. Mm -hmm. So yeah. let's let's not let it um, color our, our 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 view of people too much, right? Mm -hmm. It should. It's one of many factors that we uh, that we think about. Abhishek Dixit says hello from India. Hello back, good hey, sir. Hello. Um, here's one for one of my Scrum Master colleagues. Hello, Dev. How do you convince the Dev team tech leads to break old habits and start experimenting by starting to use the Scrum framework? Interesting. I got an answer to this one. Answer it. Let's go. You don't. Yeah. Right. So I, I, I feel like um, for some reason, and maybe I'm just in a, I don't, I don't want to say a salty mood today, maybe very direct, which is, but I, I think convince implies to me that we're trying to, um, we're trying to manipulate them into using it as, as a, as a previous, um, you know, developer or a, a previous, previous lead. If I, if I don't, I'll be honest with you. I always took the thing as um, the the path that uh, I don't want to say of least resistance, or, but familiarity. And so, to me, I didn't want to waste any time other than building. That's what I wanted to build. And so, if I didn't think something was advantageous for me that would help me build, I wouldn't do it. Yeah. Right. And that's not to say that. And and I'm a all time experimenter. Right. It's so here where I'm coming in a roundabout way is what's in it. For them, because there's a lot. You, Ryan, I like you say all the time. Scrum is a developer play, one hundred percent. I don't think they understand that. There could also be what I call a little bit of a developer kicked puppy syndrome going on, right? Yeah. These people come from other places where Scrum was used as a tool for micromanagement, and they're like, "No way am I doing that again," right? So I think that what we need to do is. Is is work with them to to show them that it is for them. I don't I don't even want to convince, right? Like I want to say this is the this is the intention of Scrum. You know, uh, maybe maybe you could try it for two sprints. It's not going to stop you from building. It's going to help you from building because you're not going to have all this outside noise to filter as much as you used to, right? What do you think? Yeah, I love it. It's uh, it's I think it's a smart take. Like, what's in it for the devs? And if you're having to convince, you've already lost, right? Mm -hmm. I, and I would just start in with suggest something small, right? Hey, do you think it would make sense for us to define quality? So the, the next time we're asked to do something quickly, we have a way to discuss that. That mm -hmm. There's a benefit to the devs there. It shields them from some of that nonsense. And so maybe that's a good way to get it in. I like your take, Todd. I, I don't think I would add much to it. Awesome. Here's one. Uh, from Jerry, how can you optimize your release frequency by way of organizing epic feature and user stories? And I'm going to say you can't. 
or I, or I, or I don't see how I actually, maybe you can, but I think if you're really looking to optimize release frequency, um, I would remove the organizational impediments that make delivery difficult. I wouldn't worry about the hierarchy of Epic feature and user story. What do you think, Todd? Yeah. I, so this is, uh, I don't think that you can optimize the release frequency through product backlog management. Yeah. I think that you optimize release frequency, as you were stating, through um, optimizing the delivery process and removing impediments that get in the way of it. Yeah. So I, 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 um, I think that uh, you're talking about product backlog management techniques. Um, and I, I think that will help to make the product backlog more transparent and well understood with stakeholders and with developers. Um, I'd look at other things when you're talking about release frequency, right? Put that on your developers to understand what's holding them back from re releasing more frequently and have them measure those things. Yeah, I like it. Yeah. Osni comes back with some details about the PBIs not done during a sprint, and it looks like a stakeholder had a favorite and it was not done and wants to know why. Todd, I think this is a great time for a product owner to step up and talk about the value trade-offs and forecasting when they're, when this stakeholder's PBI could be done. Yeah. This is a product owner discussion. This is stakeholder management. And so what do you do in this situation? Product owner gets to shine. Here's the trade-offs I made. Here's why we're doing things in this order. I'm more than happy to follow up after if I've missed something. Move on with the, the sprint review. Love it. Yeah. What is your take on scaling approaches? Safe, Nexus, less, <laughs> none of the above. Um, actually, I think I think Nexus is a great scaling framework, Todd. But uh, I'm going to speak briefly and then let you jump in here. I have we've rarely come across an organization that should be scaling at all. Hmm. What do you think? Yeah, uh, because what happens with scaling is. Um, you know, this is this is a rich rich Hunhausen. If you if you don't follow Rich uh, Hunhausen, he's awesome. He's uh, he really was one of one of my mentors in coming into the Scrum Network trainer community. But I put something on Twitter about this a few months ago and uh, kind of got people slamming me a little bit, saying that saying, but shouldn't good scaling enable? And uh, Rich said something that I thought was really smart, and he said, unfortunately, companies' architectures are how they define their products not the other way around, right? So meaning that we have these big monolithic architectures and that is considered a product. So we jam it into our release train and we deal with all the technical debt that we can because we can't scale the architecture more than it is. We're just trying to keep it from collapsing, right? And so what we do is we layer in these approaches for dependency management across all of it. And we're still doing quarterly releases. We're still accumulating a whole bunch of releases. When we change one thing in some system, we don't know if it breaks another system. So you need a full regression test from that system and this system and this system and this system. We yep. don't know where security loops or holes are because our architecture is tightly coupled. 99% of the time I see scaling because of tightly coupled architectures. I shouldn't say 99, 80% of the time. 20% I see it for big products. So um, that's that's my rant. I won't go... Uh, too much further. No, I totally agree. I, I would think twice before scaling. Let's just get good at, yeah. scrum, at Scrum. And even more importantly, let's get good at delivery and then let's scale that out. So love it. Yeah. And Hundhausen, if you're not following him, find him on Twitter, find him on LinkedIn. Uh, Rich, is, Rich is excellent. Uh, he's awesome. 
Awesome, dude. Todd, this next one, I'm going to tee up for you. What do you think about converting story points to hours as a way of forecasting delivery? Um, <laughs> story points to hours? Um, absolutely not. Uh, so that, so uh, if you go and you check out Ron Jeffries, who's really credited for bringing story points into the community, says it's maybe one of his first things that he's done, right? Um, and if you convert them into hours, uh, I, you're, it's apples and oranges and you're giving, um, you're giving a, uh, 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 you're setting yourself up for failure, right? What we'll say for forecasting delivery, uh, the, we, again, let's reference when will it be done? Daniel yeah. Vacante's books. Uh, another thing that I, 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 that we talk with Daniel about all the time is that, um, treat forecasting like the weather service does for um, uh, with hurricane forecasting, right? So U.S. Weather Service is 60% accurate for forecasting the trajectory of a hurricane, right? 60%. Why are we expected to be more if lives are on the line with a hurricane? But what do they do, Ryan? What do they do? They update constantly. Constantly. They're constantly updating. They're constantly updating with reality, all the stuff I think when you're when you're converting story points to hours is is taking you further away from the reality of the situation, right? Yeah. Uh, and oftentimes you're using that for budgetary stuff, and and then you disappear. And it's I don't know. Uh, it's uh, uh, I, have I said too much or not enough at this point? I, I would boil this down to don't do that. <laughs> yeah. that that's, that's the answer to that question. Yeah. Don't don't do that. Yeah, don't do that. So, Karen, I really think uh, Vacanti's work would uh, would really shine a light of uh, light here. And uh, check out when will it be done. If you can't uh, find the book, message us on one of the YouTube videos, and we will help out. We're a big fan of yeah, that work, and yeah. we think it could help you out too. I think it'd help everybody. Everyone should read that book. What are the behaviors of a self managing Scrum team? Um, I think one of the big behaviors that uh, that one of the behaviors we look for, and I think we actually wrote about it quite a bit um, in our book, right? So definitely check out the book. Um, is that you see a scrum team deciding how to do their work when they're truly deciding how best to do their work, uh, and they're making the calls there, and they're defining quality, and they're. I I, I think that's a big part of self managing teams, right? It's not that. Uh, managers go away and that HR things are no longer, that stuff's still needed, right? So we know, we're not talking about getting rid of management, but when we see a scrum team deciding how to go about delivering an increment of high quality that's, uh, that's valuable, that's potentially releasable, that's when I start to get excited about self-managing teams. What about you, Todd? I've never been around a self-managing team that was doing it well that wasn't fun. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Uh, I like fun. You, you like fun, Ryan? I like to party. Yeah. And you and I actually have quite a bit of fun uh, working, right? We have, we have fun in our classes. We have fun. Like we were just doing some office maintenance stuff before this, you know, doing a little bit of BS and telling some terrible jokes to each other. And, uh, but we get the, we're getting the work done Yeah, when we're doing it. We're knocking stuff out. We're getting work done. Um, I've never been around a self-managing scrum team that, that, that wasn't a little bit fun. Uh, and uh, I, I think that kind of adds to like a more relaxed environment where people feel free to be open. Everybody's respected. I'm throwing in the scrum values here for a specific reason, because if you want to talk about behavioral stuff, check out the five scrum values and yeah, see where your teams might be deficient. Right. 
That's a good pointer. I think the other thing that I look for are boundaries, constraints, and goals. Mm-hmm. Does the team have do they have sprint goals and product goals they're working towards? Do they fully understand them? Are there boundaries and, and constraints put in place by the organization that they're managing within? You know, I, I like yours, Todd. Like, is there a little fun going on? Are they is it mm-hmm. is the work joyful? And I think that's uh yeah. that's a big thing too. Yeah. Uh let's see here. Howdy, fellas. Well, hello. Hey, what's up, CS? We illuminate scrum artifacts and embrace transparency. Awesome. How do we get the stakeholders and senior leadership to embrace uncertainty and not ask how can we fasten the, how can we deliver faster? Um, I actually think those are great questions from stakeholders and senior leadership. Mm-hmm. Right. I think I think they when will it be done? How do we what could we do to change the dates or, or speed up delivery? Perfectly valid questions. I think it comes down to the way we answer them. Right. And so when the question about how do we get to delivery faster? Well, we reduce scope. Simple. Hmm. Right. That's not the answer they want. I think they want to uh, typically what I've seen is, well, we've got 10 things here. How do we deliver faster? And when I've offered, well, if we deliver five, it'll be half the time. They say, no, I want the 10 things faster. And I don't know how to do magic. Do you, Todd? No, I'm not very good at magic. I I did one time try to like get the magic book stuff. My hands are just too fumbly. <laughs> like I'm like, hey, check out the card, and I'm like dropping stuff everywhere, you know. So yeah, I, I think one of the things that I one of the things about Scrum that we don't talk about enough is that the Iron Triangle still exists. So time, scope, and budget are still real factors, and Scrum locks time and budget, right? So time is fixed in a sprint length, and budget is fixed in the cost to run a sprint, and so the only thing that is flexible is scope. And so if people want things faster, we got to cut scope. Uh, we're not going to cut quality because we are professionals. We, and we do professional scrum and professionals deliver high quality work. And so the only other lever to pull has to be scope. Yeah. You know, I think it also, it also could be one of these situations where, um, what are we paying attention to? Cause if all we're paying attention to is faster, then we could be a deficient in another area. Right. Uh, so like, there is a delivery side of this, but there's also the value side of these yeah. metrics, right? So I think if the question is always faster, maybe we should talk about what they really care about. And that truly is, it's faster because of, we're trying to meet another customer need. We're trying to keep up with competition. How are we doing with those things? Yeah. Are we making the customers happy? How are we doing with market share? Are we taking more market share? Those types of things. You know what I've seen, Todd, is that, um when a scrum master or agile coach or whoever is working in the organization, when they're able to get EBM successfully installed, mm-hmm. this, when will it be done? And the faster questions kind of fade away. Yeah. And they start talking about, and, and EBM is evidence-based management. There's a free white paper on scrum.org. Highly recommend y'all go check it out. Uh, it just covers the value and delivery aspects of things. And it typically leads to better conversations than, than how do we go fast? It's like the Ricky Bobby. I want to go fast. Yeah. Like, oh. But I don't, but I don't know what to do with my hands. Yeah. What do I do with my hands? What do you guys do with your hands? So Bobby. let's get out of the, I want to go fast and uh, EBM can help you. Yeah. Think, you know, I, I think it's like a thing I would probably over say all over again. Can, can you be going really, 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 really fast and delivering what your customer doesn't want? A hundred percent. 
Oh, like, yeah. you could let's make everybody go really fast and not do what is what anybody wants. Right? Exactly. I just posted evidence-based management link for anybody. Nice. More on that to come on our uh, channel. So. How to break silos. Android is only coding Android. iOS is only coding iOS. Backend is only coding .NET. QA is only testing. Everything after everything is piled up. Um, huge, huge issue in in the world today. Um, sometimes it doesn't make sense, right? If you if you have a team that's creating an Android app, maybe Android specialists make sense. But in general, and again, I don't know. Um, Don Garas's, um, I hope I said that correctly. Sorry if I didn't, um, particular context. But what we find typically in these situations when these questions come up is that we don't really have a team. Mm. We have a loosely associated group of people. They all have some varying skill sets, but inevitably the silos start up. And so if I'm a, in a scrum master role, I, what I like to do, and this is a tip that um, has served me well, I like to create a false emergency. Um, let's say production's down. And, and where I'm going with this is I'm a big fan of um, testing out where the real team is. Hmm. And so in time of, time of crisis, production goes down on a system, Todd, I'm sure you've seen this. It's like Avengers assemble, the right people get together. We lock them in a conference room. We would slide pizza under the door until the problem was fixed. And that was the team that was able to actually solve the problem and deliver an increment and get the, the solution done. Well, that's your actual team that can deliver something. And I'm a big fan of then maintaining that team forever because I don't think it's right to just work in a really good way when things are on fire. Why not work in a really good way when things are calm as well? And so I, what I'm trying to do here is basically break down the silo, create a truly self or self-organizing, self-managing, cross-functional team. Scrum needs a cross-functional team. And so what I'm trying to do is provoke that to happen so that going forward, we've got the silos broken down. We have the skills um, distributed. And, and that could be an interesting way to do it. The other comment I'll make, and then I'll quit rambling and let Todd clean up everything I said, <laughs> is that everyone is a tester. I, I, I have very low tolerance for developers who say they're too good to test. I think that's ridiculous. I think mm. developers can help um, our QA specialists by writing test cases, by writing automated testing um, frameworks and harnesses. And I, I really, I want to see every, if testing is behind and piled up, time to stop developing and get the testing cleared, right? I mean, we can all, we can all do that. Todd, what do you think? Clean, clean it up. Um, what, what if you experimented and had one team that was capable of deploying the iOS app, the Android app testing and backend code? Say again. Uh, what if you had one team that was capable of doing all of it? What oh. if you tried? What if you had two Android developers sitting next to two iOS developers sitting next to two backend coders sitting next to two, a, two QA people? Awesome. What if you had that? And what if they could deploy everything together? So this is where I see the, but well, we, ha we have an iOS and an Android app, and those are two very different skill sets. I totally get that. And you, may, um, I haven't met too many people. I've met some people that can do Android and iOS. Um, that, that I shouldn't say that too much. But what I see happen, though, a lot of times is that the Android app and the iOS app are very different. Right. So what if I'm an iOS user and I decide to move over to Android and I had your company's app and I go to Android and I'm like, what in the heck? 
iOS is so much better or so much worse, vice versa, right? Um, what if you had a single team that could do it all together? Maybe that's worth trying. Maybe it's worth trying. Totally agree. Lots of good questions here today. PO is also a developer. What should I do as a scrum master? Um, find a dedicated product owner. <laughs> this is a problem. Um, I know the scrum guide allows this and it doesn't not prohibit people from playing dual roles, but I'll tell you what, when the develop, I, I'll, I'll bet, bet a dollar that uh, when the developer gets busy, the PO role drops. And then we don't have anyone looking at value, looking at spend, looking at stakeholder management, looking at customers. And that is a huge gap in our product delivery uh, practice. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you actually have a product owner who isn't just, who isn't the developer. You have a person who owns the budget. Go find that person whose money you're spending every time you touch a keyboard and say, Hey, we need you. You're now, you need to, to we need you to start showing up. All right. Here's what, here's a good one for you, Todd. First of all, greeting fellas. Hello there. Um, does a scrum master contribute in the release planning and budgeting? If yes, how? Uh, I mean, so with release planning and budgeting, here, here's where I generally find that these are these are uh, walking on eggshell conversations that in organizations that are not used to operating with agility. And so to me, who is the best person to, to speak to how we create a release plan that isn't locked into scope and isn't a death march of terrible quality, crappy product we're going to release into production? We make a release plan that has and enables agility, right? Um, how do we budget so that we're not just funding a product that doesn't work for two years? We start to look at different ways of budgeting and having conversations about how maybe we can do a little bit of drip funding or budgeting or something that's not just this big monolithic, well, here, here, Ryan, here's $5 million, go build us exactly what we think is going to work, <laughs> right? So I, I think a, a Scrum Master can contribute as um, often, these are, these are oftentimes product owner responsibilities. They can contribute as an advisor or a helper to the product owner to make sure that we're not boxing ourselves into a corner um, that is going to hurt us in the end with low quality, unsatisfied customers building the wrong stuff. Very nice. Hello, all. Hello, Ryan and Todd. Hello, our amazing friend. Hey, what's up? Yeah. Hey, we'll see. We'll see you next week. Stay amazing. Yeah. See you next week in our yeah. PSM2 class, right? Yeah. 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 Pumped, pumped about nice. it. I hope you're pumped before it too. We're jacked up about that class. Love it. Greetings. Hello, sir. Dav gives a thumbs up. Thank Great. you very much. Let's see. We got Rob. I think Rob is joining us too for some uh, some classes as well. As well, Scrum ideas wording to include in statements of work with large vendors. Wow, this is a big one, Rob. Um, things that I would include in lar with large vendors. Uh, the thing that, and, and again, this is a huge question. If you have something more specific, feel free to follow up on one of the YouTube videos. We should probably do a video about something like this, Todd. Um, the thing that I've seen that I always liked is that uh, if I'm the vendor and I'm working with a client, the client can buy sprints and there's not a lot of lock-in. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the sprint, they get to take the things that, and walk away and do something different if they like. So Rob, if you're on the on the, on the the client side, something that I, I've always tried to put in statements of work with large vendors when I'm working for companies 
is uh, we, are, we are purchasing sprints. We're by no means locked in. And we get the work product at the end of each sprint. And it's our discretion to do with it whatever we choose. And mm -hmm. so I think that's a big one. Um, I think the other thing I've seen in statements of work that I really liked is that uh, something that's more vendor um, benef more benefit to the vendor is that if they finish early, there's some kind of kind of bonus. We're going to incentivize them to not just, you know, burn a budget, right? So if they're able to get all the value delivered and only it only needed half the product backlog, maybe they get 50% of the remaining expected spend. Or we're trying to incentivize good behaviors in uh, in with our Scrum ideas in these statements of work. Todd, what have you seen? I've seen vendors hold companies hostage, and I've seen it happen far too long. I am. It it really bothers me when you see a vendor bossing around um, a company, telling um, you know, saying, well, "Well, the last time you updated, it broke all of our stuff. Too bad. Fix it. We told you this was coming." You know, like I, I can. I don't want to name any vendors. I have a few in mind. Uh, I, I'm just uh, so th this is tough. The the larger the vendor, I think, the harder it is. I absolutely fully put stuff in there about wanting transparency. Yep. Right. I don't want you going off and disappearing for months at a time and coming back and just doing the ta-da thing. That still happens far too much, far too much. So from a from a client to a vendor, let's let's really try to take back our companies from these vendors that are holding us hostage. Yeah, it's it really I've, how many times have you seen that? Constant. And, and so we, we had someone in a class recently, Todd, where they're like, yeah, we're forced to use this vendor. We're totally locked in. We can't get the code back from them. They've got us, you know, a five-year deal. And I'm just sitting there on the inside exploding. Like I'm just, uh, I mean, we hate seeing that. And so it, I, I think it all harkens back to the manifesto, right? Of agile software development, um, contract negotiation, or, or customer collaboration over contract negotiation. So all of the terms in an agreement, especially a statement of work, should enhance and promote collaboration, um, not lock in, not uh, adversarial type things. So I think those are some big ideas, Rob. If you've got some uh, more granular type ideas or questions, drop them in the YouTube comments. I think this is a fun one that we would be more than happy to circle back on and continue yeah. talking about. And I think this is good Scrum Master's work. Talk with your contract departments about how you have shorter contracts so that you don't get held hostage, yep. right? In which situations would we use Kanban or Scrum? Oh, another really big question. Um, Why not use both? Yeah, I, we're a big fan of both. Professional Scrum with <laughs> yeah. Kanban is a great idea. Um, I think there's as aspects of both that are just work great together. It's like peanut butter and jelly. Peanut butter and jelly. I like it. And then, and then Jerry, if you have a, a more granular question again, we're more than happy to follow up. Todd, can the definition of done be at the PBI level or does it have to be at the increment level? New Scrum Guide 2020 has the most beautiful statement in it that you and I use over and over and over again. Yep. The moment a PBI hits the definition of done and increment is born. Right. So I think by, I think let's invert this. I think by having a definition of done at the increment level, you might be slowing down your ability to get done at a PBI level. So I think that the scrum guide 2020, as it states, the moment, the def, the moment a PBI hits the definition of done and increment is born, it should be at the PBI level. 
Although you can, you could have multiple definitions of done. There's nothing saying that you can't, you have multiple tiers of definition of done, but I like, I like it for the PBI level. Yeah. And maybe we should go into that in more detail in a video. We'll just actually show visually what a, what a definition of done could look like. Cause I don't think there's a lot of good stuff around that. So we'll take that down as something to investigate in a future video. Yeah. That's not, I think we did a video on that. Remember when I shared the thingy? Oh yeah, the, yeah. On the on the mural board, whatever. Yep. There, I yeah. think there's one out there. There probably is. So search the backlog. I'm sure there is, and uh, yeah. let us know. You know, throw us another question. What would be a good way to discuss not done items during the sprint review? Um, I would, if the sprint goal was met, I would just briefly. Mm-hmm. Here's the things we thought we were going to need, but as it turns out, we won without them. Yay, we save time and money. Awesome. And we don't have to support those things long term. I would treat them as a win. Um, if we did not hit our sprint goal and there's a bunch of not done things, well, I would refine those things, put them back on the product backlog and have an overall product backlog discussion about what needs to happen in the next sprint. I'm not sure I would linger too much on what we committed to versus what we did. And I would, I, I really want to speak in terms of the sprint goal. And then I really want to just focus on the product backlog for the next sprint. What do you think, Todd? You know, um, so I went on a run for uh, two years where predominantly I was um, I was uh, either a scrum master for a brand. Well, the one year was a scrum master for a product owner that had never been a product owner before. And then the year after that, for some reason, I was on three different consulting gigs working with product owners, right? I think because of my experience in product ownership and things like that. Universally, I heard the same thing from all three of them, right? Uh, That one of the things that they grew to appreciate the most about Scrum and the sprint review is that it reveals a little bit to stakeholders how the sausage is made. And it's an ugly process. Yes. Right. And so it sometimes doesn't make you want to eat sausage if you see how it's made. So what that what that is, is that saying that we it's you can't just add a button that goes and does complex math and then spits out the answer. It doesn't happen that quickly. And so by by doing that, it, it, it creates a little bit of stakeholder empathy. And so I think that if we create some transparency in certain things to discuss items that weren't done, uh, it might help stakeholders see that uh, making the sausage is ugly, right? It can be quite unpredictable. We can forecast the best we can, but sometimes that little thing, that little leak in our ceiling, hope that doesn't happen again to me. The kids have done that twice this summer, <laughs> but that little link in this leak in the ceiling that just looks like you can just you know sand it and apply. So there might be a pipe that's busted and the whole thing collapses. Yep. You don't know. Uh, so, um, yeah, I guess that's, uh, that's about it. I like it. Yeah. Show them how the sausage is made. Show them how the sausage is made. Karen says, thank you. Really helps. You're welcome. You're very welcome. Have a good weekend. Let's see. So we have a follow-up to our answer. Couldn't you tell them that more developers and additional scrum teams would get delivery faster in the long term? Maybe. Then we're adding, we're also adding complexity. We're also changing the context that we're working in. Dependencies. Uh, Dependencies start cropping up, maybe. Mm -hmm. But then we're back to scaling, right? And adding adding people often doesn't fix the problem. It complicates it. 
but I can guarantee you this: it's a short-term loss because um, you're you're going to absolutely lose uh, delivery capacity in the short term doing yeah. it. Uh, who's going to get them all on board and talk about the complex? And, and what does short term mean? Short term could <laughs> mean six to twelve months, which yeah. Yeah, some yeah. companies is not short term, right? Mm -hmm. So I I think it's um, so Manuel, it could work, uh, but it's not a guarantee. Let's see. How well do you think Scrum can be applied to a project that is predominantly waterfall, i.e. migrating from a legacy ERP to a new ERP org size is 100 team members? I have no idea. You try You're, it. Try it. Yeah. You know, and, and what's interesting here is if you have a team that's predominantly waterfall, I don't know if I would try to layer the whole Scrum framework at once. In fact, I know I wouldn't like my one of my favorite things to do with a waterfall team, Todd, and, and you know, this is just start with definition of done, mm -hmm. just define done and watch how all the behaviors have to change just because you've made explicit what done actually means. Right. And then in a few months, start just doing a daily scrum or start doing a retro, just incrementally and iteratively add scrum practices to a waterfall team over over a course of a year or two. Like, don't drop it on them all at once or else it'll just. It'll, it'll be crushing, but um, yeah, just, just define done and see what that does, positive or negative, uh, for the teams out there. What do you think, Miller? Yeah. I, I like that. I like that. Start start somewhere. Don't you don't uh, start somewhere and see what happens. Start with done. That's a good, I think that's some good advice. CS says, thank you. You are welcome. You're welcome, Rob. CS. Rob is joining us September 1st for an EBM class. Oh, yeah, we're can... pumped about that. I'm, I have a special place for me with EBM. Um, yeah, super, super stoked about that. That, that That's an official class and a, and a certain app for Scrum.org. Hey, I think Daniel's going to be there, too. Nice. Sweet. All right. Key things that indicate Kanban would be a better approach versus Scrum. So that's an, that's an interesting question. In, indicators for Kanban versus Scrum. And I, you know, I, I think with um, with Scrum, if there's more unknown than known about the work um, and you're looking for some cadence like that, I think that could be an indicator. With Kanban, it's more flow of work, right? We're trying to, to flow work through. Um, you know, but I, it's just so contextually sensitive, Todd. I, this is one, I, I want to be hesitant to give a best practice here because then that's going to get blown up on Twitter and it'll get shot out. I just, I think context is everything when we're choosing. I think one of the most important questions is what does the team want to do? Mm. How would they like to work? Do they want to visualize their workflow? Do they want to um, set whip limits? Do they want to um, optimize the whole? Because guess what? You can do that inside of Scrum. I really, it's, this is, it's no longer a versus um, because I really think we can do both together so well. Um, I really think this is a, a team call though. And I, and I don't have a best practice here. Do you? No. Um, uh, yeah. I, like, let's get rid of the debate. Ryan and I are both uh, professional Kanban trainers um, and uh, we're both professional scrum trainers. Uh, here's, here's, uh, in the field, I have started with Kanban and ended up with something that looks like Scrum. I, in the field, I've started with Scrum and ended up with something that really paid attention to a lot of the principles and things and metrics and stuff like that in Kanban. 
Um, I don't think it's either or. What, what we believe in is take an approach that is going to enable you to deliver in a way that people don't hate delivering and in a way that your customer is yeah. a little bit happier than they were before. Do that. I don't want to get in any debate over um, over what what we should do. Should we do TDD? Should we do should I, right? Do we need to uh, I don't know, come up with a elaborate release plan? Or like, do we need to? Let's pay attention to why all of this stuff is here, right? People yeah. are still are not satisfied with the way that organizations are delivering to customers. Mainly, customers aren't satisfying. It's put still putting companies out of business, and all of these approaches were meant to enable delivery. So I, I don't want to get into some kind of um, debate over it. I think that we're probably very much the, the, the people that are not dogmatic about an approach to take. Uh, we just want you to be, to be better, right? We want, we want the apps that your companies are building on our phones to work and to make us not want to delete them straight away. Right. right? Oh, well, I, I think the better debate is, um, should we fix our architecture and our organizational impediments before adopting any framework? And the answer there, I would say, is an absolute yes, right? I really wish people would, instead of trying to pick frameworks, I wish they would pick um, organizational improvements over trying to have a framework solve their problems. Does that make sense there, Todd? Am I, does, am I, does. I, let's, let's do that. Let's have that debate, because I think that's interesting. Um, but the Kanban versus Scrum, that's, we built a bridge Scrum.org mm -hmm. built a, 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 an awesome bridge. Uh, the professional Scrum with Kanban course, I think, teaches us that uh, it's not even a, an argument anymore. It's a, it's a collaboration. Yeah. Um, I, Todd, I sense a trick here. How could a Scrum team act unethically and harm each other and stakeholders? I'm not falling into this triz. <laughs> Abhishek, I see what you're doing and yeah. I love it. <laughs> but... It's not early enough. We're not going to fall for that. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good question. I like that. I, you know what? Here's Let's counter this. Let's put it right back on you, Abhishek. Ask your team that. Yeah. And then after you ask your team that and they categorize other ideas, ask them what they, what they came up with now that resembles what they're actually doing. Yeah. This is a great Triz setup. Very yeah. well played, sir. Very well played. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Keyshawn, I really like your daily scrum. A big fan. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks. Thanks a lot. We're big fans of all of you. The community is awesome. Dav says, happy belated first birthday, guys. Such a blessing. Yeah, Agile for Humans turned one sometime around yeah. this, this week. Sometime, a little baby Agile for Humans is growing up. <laughs> that was another Ricky awesome. Bobby reference, by the way. Did you see my Talladega Night circle back there, Ryan? Oh, yeah. yeah. Rob says, thanks. He's going to work with procurement. That's awesome. Yeah, smart. That's awesome, dude. Sean from Northern England. Very welcome, hey. Sean. Good to yeah. see you. I dream of a PSK course <laughs> next year, Ryan and Todd, please. Yeah. Um, and Daniel says, yes, do that. All right. We're, so I'll, I'm not committing, but I have reached out. I've pinged Vacanti. Yeah, uh, I think we're going to try to make something happen with so, him. Yeah, with, 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 with Dan with us. Yeah, we really like to we really like to work with Dan, even uh, even though you know he's, he sucks. <laughs> That's a little inside thing between Dan and I. Dan and I, Dan and I both. Dan played Australian rules um, football, and I played rugby. And so Ryan sometimes sits back and goes, "These guys are going to kill each other. We're just no. really busting on each other." So if you see videos, 
Dan and I are good friends. Um, yeah. So I I think, but they, yeah, they, oh, some of the, some of the Slack channels are crazy. (laughs) We do get Um, on each other a bit. But I'll tell you what, um, for all of you asking for a PSK course, I think we're close to figuring that out. And it will be with Dan Vicanti with Todd and I. So you'll get the three of us. Is Jira the best software for project management? I, you know, I think it's good. I don't know what's best. I think what's best is what empowers your team to do great things. So Maria, I've seen teams use Azure DevOps and be really successful. I've team I've seen teams use Jira and really get a lot out of it. I've seen teams use Trello and and be wildly Todd and I use Trello to manage our company, mm-hmm. right? We manage a lot of things in Trello. I've seen teams use spreadsheets. I've seen teams use three by five cards and uh, a bunch of tape and stuff on the wall. And so I think it really comes down to what is the team most comfortable using, which tools enhance the way it's individuals and interactions over processes and tools. And so what that means is, does the tool help us interact better? And if, if Jira is doing that for your team, awesome. Awesome. Keep using it. We're super excited for you. Keep, keep that up. Non-negotiable order. People, process, tools, non-negotiable order. Awesome. Jerry, thanks, Todd and Ryan. Podcast is very helpful. You are welcome. Thank you. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks for hanging out today. What are the metrics that should be discussed as part of a retrospective, Todd? Check out That's the EBM guide, build an EBM dashboard, talk about it all. Yeah. I think that I think EBM is perfect for the retro. This yeah. is a the retrospective. Oh, retro. I was putting EBM for the review. Hey, I guess you could do either. I, I think Todd ability to innovate and time to market. Like what's keeping mm-hmm. our, mm-hmm. I think those are two key value areas that awesome. can really bring some insights to the retro. Um, I think unrealized value and current value could too. Right. Like why wouldn't we like talk it. about current value? Yeah. I, I saw you're, you're right. So I think EBM for, for both the sprint retro review and sprint retrospective. Yeah. I really cannot. I, I think Todd and I both agree with this. Cannot stress EBM enough. Yeah. Go grab that white paper from scrum.org, dig into it, check it out. It's excellent. And you could really, dare I say, you could start with EBM and some of these, like I went, we got a hundred, that hundred team yep. and going to a new CRM, you could start with EBM. Well, and, and just so that, you know, we're, people are clear too, like Todd and I eat our own dog food. I just watched a spider drop right before my eye to the, <laughs> <room right now. laughs> did it really <laughs> smash that real quick. Um, we run our company with EBM and actually right before going live, we were reviewing our EBM dashboard. We were looking at our metrics. We were seeing how things were going, what the trends are. We do the exact same thing that we we tell you to do. So cannot stress EBM enough. Check it out at scrum.org. Mahesh says, awesome to be here from Mumbai. Mahesh. Hey, thanks. Mahesh. Welcome. Thanks awesome. for being it's here. It's super cool to see how many people that we have, um, not only watching the YouTube channel, but just joining us from all over the world. So I would love it. We think that um, the diversified group really adds a lot of different perspectives to not only questions, but um, things that you might be experiencing and commonalities, right? Common, some of the same struggles everybody's happening. So thank you, Mahesh. Thank you, everybody, really, for, for coming and hanging out from all over the world. Thanks for your support. Sorry. Hey questions we love the questions keep dropping questions in the comments we'll keep making videos keep them coming very helpful thanks you're welcome jimmy we hope we did help i think we're just going to take a few more here yeah i think it's we're 1 p we're 1 p.m eastern right 
I think this might be the last one. Yeah, well, so, I'll, I'll, I'll start cataloging the other ones. Yeah, so Dre Will, he asks, um, can you explain specific impediments and ways Scrum Masters remedy impediments? So an impediment is anything that slows down or prevents a Scrum team from delivering value, right? So that's the broad definition. And so what I want you to do is, Dre, I'm going to turn this one back on you. I want you to go to your team and say, what makes delivery difficult? What slows us down? What's What frustrates us? What prevents us from delivering um, value to our customers more frequently? And just stand back and watch the watch your team. Maybe you're a developer. Maybe you're a scrum master. I'm not sure what your role is. But let's uh, watch your team just fill a wall with all the things that cause issues. Now you have an impediments backlog. Congratulations. You got a lot of things to work through. And so I think that that phrasing of the question, posing that question to your team, I think is the cleanest way to get specific impediments. And now as a scrum master, my job is to work in the organization, partner with leadership, partner with management, partner with the DevOps group, whoever I need, and start working on those big organizational things that need to get resolved, right? So I need friends, I need allies, I need people I can go to uh, to get those impediments fixed. Some of the impediments, the developers are going to take care of themselves. Ryan, we don't know how to use our calendar app. We can't schedule the daily scrum. Um, I think you can solve that. Sit down and sort that out. I'm going to go work on the big stuff, right? What would you say there, Todd? Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'll just highlight one of the things you said is that uh, impediment that you deal with as a scrum master is something that the scrum team um, out, uh, uh, can't resolve on their own, specifically developers or your product owner. If they can't resolve an impediment on their own, then that's something that you that you uh, that you work to resolve, right? Nice. So Dre is a scrum master. Um, use that simple prompt, simple question, get a bunch of post-its on the wall. And, uh, yeah, I think you're going to, I think you're going to get a nice view of where the impediments really are. Yeah. So Kishan's going to go, Kishan's going to go check out EBM. Apparently we rock. Thank you, David. Yeah, Daniel says Thanks. great job. Very, uh, educative. Awesome. Um, Sean Parker. Agile delivery manager made up role, yes or no? If it's uh, if it's on LinkedIn, it must be real. I'm gonna uh, put that. Uh, I'm gonna add that as a question to. We're gonna our, do that. We're gonna do a video about that. We have some thoughts there, and so keep your eyes open, like and subscribe to the YouTube channel, Sean, so that you can see when uh, when we drop that video for you. A lot of thank yous up here. Thanks, guys. Keep up the awesome work. Thank all of you know what. Thanks to all of you, uh, we get to do this. Um, you know, all of you make this possible. Keep your questions coming. Leave them in the comments. We're going to keep answering them. And uh, yeah, we're going to keep putting videos up. As long as you have questions, we'll keep answering them. So thank all of you. Or thanks to all of you. The community is awesome. You're all super helpful in the comments. Uh, we love doing this for you. And uh, yeah, yeah so keep that you. up. Keep helping each other, right? We we yeah. chime in. We give our opinions. Um Keep sharing and helping each other. It's a it's a it's a really awesome kind community, and we want to keep building it out. So it's all about uh, all of you, and we couldn't thank you enough. Todd, you know what it's time for? End screen. End screen. So oh, you got to put the... the music on. Remember? Oh like, yeah, you got some go. advice to do that. So everybody, thank you so much for checking out your daily Scrum live. Take a look at the socials. It's all at Agile for Humans on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Like and subscribe on the YouTube channel so that uh, you know when we go live, when we drop new videos, you don't want to miss 
any of this stuff, I'm sure. Some videos, if you're on YouTube, are going to show up below. The algorithm thinks you'll like them. We do, too. Uh, but you know what? This one was fun. So thanks, everybody, for showing up. Yeah. For Todd Miller, I'm Ryan Ripley. This has been your Daily Scrum Live. We'll see you next week. Have a good weekend. Hey, it's Ryan. If you're enjoying this show and want to take a deeper dive into Scrum with me and Todd, check out agileforhumans.com forward slash training. Be sure to also look at the show notes to subscribe to our newsletter, get a copy of our book, Fixing Your Scrum, and learn more about working with us at Agile for Humans. Thanks for listening and Scrum on.